Let's enter the Primo Mobile of Dante's Paradiso today. That will be through Cantos 27 and 29. So just as we talked about the last couple of Cantos of the fixed stars last time and the anger of Peter, him turning red from silvery, um, and the four questions asked of Adam, so now will we go to the so-called crystalline heaven, the, the birth of time and space, the birth of the nature of the universe. And we're going to learn a few very interesting things what the nature of a being is, what the nature of the universe is, and um, what choirs of angels correspond to which spheres of heaven, and also which spheres of heaven are closest to the so-called source, or God, and um, how brightly they shine. It will be inverse from what we would expect. All right, so Dante's vision clears, and he can now look upon Beatrice. So now he can see again. Recall that he had lost his vision trying to look at. Does anybody recall which saint he tried to look at too closely and burned his eyes so that he could not see? Yes? It was James. It was James. And so he spoke to St. John blind about love, almost as if love is what? Very interesting, because we know justice is blind, but interesting about love. So Dante now reflects upon Ulysses, Odysseus, and something interesting <coughs> I literally just read. Uh, that is a correct use of literally because I just read a minute ago that a um, hundred famous authors and scholars came together and they judged what the most influential book of all time was. Can you guess which book they chose? It was the Odyssey. And I want you to think about the other books there are that exist. Not just the Aeneid and the Iliad, but books like the Bible, of course, as well, and the Divine Comedy. But the Divine Comedy, much harder to read than the Odyssey, even though I would say it is perhaps a more powerful work. Um, it is a less accessible work to people. So you are very, very gifted to be able to learn about the Divine Comedy. In any case, Dante thinks about Odysseus and how far he has come because Odysseus, Ulysses, was the man who had gone the furthest or the farthest of any man who had ever existed at his time, beyond the Pillars of Heracles, beyond the known world. He had explored, explored unknown territory on the world, on the sea. Well, look how much farther Dante has come than he. Dante not only across the sea, but into the stars and the heavens themselves. Um, he is himself paralleling Odysseus's journey in that he too is going into unknown terra, territory or terra incognita in Latin, but he is also going far beyond him. And this will be a claim that Milton actually makes about his relationship to the epic poets before him, Virgil and Dante included, that he will go farther than any man has ever gone before. Um, sort of like what we first heard when our first man, does anybody know who the first man to step on the moon was? I'm thinking of the second man. Buzz Aldrin was the second man, yes. Neil Armstrong. And does anybody recall the very famous quote that he, uh, he spoke as he stepped onto the moon for the first time? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. As, in, as if we were leaping into the future, as if we were going now into territory um, far beyond the normal. And so that seems to be what these epic writers are doing. Dante is, of course, doing the same thing that Neil Armstrong did, but not literally, not physically. All right, good, 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 good. So he now looks at his journey from a higher perspective. He reflects on what it is he has done. He uses his power of contemplation. And in fact, the figure of the divine, the sort of, uh, how should I call him, Gandalf, Dumbledore, Professor X, God figure we will meet in Canto 30, will himself be a contemplative. Saint Bernard of Clairvaux and uh, Beatrice will disappear just as Virgil had disappeared in the same way and will be replaced this time by an old man. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see how Dante likes that. He won't be super happy at first, but then of course he's in heaven, so 
you know, happiness is easier to find there. In any case, what he reflects on here is as he's come so far, how much has he changed? And how much has his ideal or that which he's striving towards changed? And in having his ideal changed, has that in fact changed himself? And I want you to think about that with your own lives. The closer you get to your goals, do you think the more your goals change? And the closer you get to goals, do you think the more it is that you change? And is that sort of what a human life is like? Is that like a course of education or a curriculum or a career even? Pursuing something that's always changing, but always changing you as well. In any case, a little bit of philosophy to start the morning off. And so, I saw beyond Cadiz, Spain, that's where the pillars of Heracles were, the passage, the demented Ulysses took. And on this side, the shore, almost on which Europa was carried, 2782 to 84. So Dante now sees beyond what Ulysses saw in his journey from a whole new perspective, like Aladdin and Jasmine. What's the name of that most famous song where Aladdin, above the earth, on a magic carpet, using the power of the logos and thinking, shows Jasmine what now? Yes? A whole new world, which means that he's sharing with her a new what? Perspective, because it is acquiring new perspectives that allows you to see the world anew. Very good. Very good, very good. You see this in Disney uh, stories. You see this in uh, biblical stories. You see this in the Odyssey. You see this in this story as well. It's probably because it's the best way to see the world anew is to learn a new perspective. Right. That's right. Perhaps, uh, you know, even think about this. Whenever you start a new sport or endeavor and you're not very good at it and you're learning about it again, it is like you've started a new world. It's like you've never mountain biked before, you're going to start mountain biking, you don't understand the grades of mountain biking hills, you don't really understand how to move the gears. It's like there's a whole new world to learn about. Hmm. And we even do talk about that. We say, you live in a different world from me, which is a very funny way of thinking. In any case, notice now that Ulysses is seen as mad or demented. Mad or demented, because obviously where did he end up? In hell. Which means that there was something about his efforts to go beyond unknown territory that were uh, wrong or wrong-headed or aimed in the wrong direction. Um, and that's all I have to say on that for now. Uh, just something I wanted to mention about Oiropa being carried. She was carried by a bull who was actually Zeus, and she was taken by uh, Zeus. She's one of the many liaisons that Zeus had with women that were not Hera. Um, that is a metaphor for how Zeus or Western culture spread across which lands. Named for Oriloba. Europe. Europe, of course. It is the spread of Western values throughout the world. It's very interesting because this is, again, a, a reenactment of what we've seen with Justinian talking about the spread of the Imperial Eagle, which is the spread of Western values to the Roman civilization. We've also heard about the spread of the Catholic or Christian uh, civilization as well. It's almost like good ideas, like plagues, what? Spread. That's right. Spread. Though with uh, positive rather than negative results, generally speaking. All right. Going to keep moving. All right. His mind, Dante's, is enamored with Beatrice. That means in love with. And as the eye is with tricks of nature or art, bright colors, for example, ripe fruit, 88 to 96. And he comes up now. You, you just need to have these last few words here. He comes up from the Gemini constellation, which means twins. Remember that the twins in Gemini are Castor and Pollux, who were the brothers of which famous woman who was abducted by Paris? Yes? Um, 
Helen. Very good. Very good. Very good. So even, even in the constellation that Dante finds himself going through, there is an idea wedged within there of going beyond the rules and going beyond the norms. Uh, I'm forgetting a, a transgression is involved in that idea. And so that is certainly what he is doing. If you are going to contemplate and see things in a new way, you are not going to see them in an old way. So you are going to transgress the views of those who came before you. And so part of writing an epic into attaining a new perspective is that you have to break out of the perspective of those before you, which means you sort of have to commit a Promethean or Adam-like crime, which is a very interesting way of thinking. In any case, we have to keep moving. Here's another picture by Sandro Botticelli of uh, the Prima Mobile. At the middle there is obviously what? It's a big shining light thing that we can't quite comprehend around which the universe uh, circles. That'd be God. That's uh, the Aristotelian Thomas Aquinas Dante conception of God, the fixed point around which all things in the universe uh, fixate or circle or circle. And as well as the circle itself. Very interestingly. All right. So a couple things about this swiftest of heavens. So the prima mobile is the fastest heaven. It's the heaven that's closest to the source, closest to the God. It's called the crystalline heaven. It's invisible. You can't see anything there. And so all parts are uniform here, like parts of a glass. Um, like if I look at the window, which part of the window is less translucent than others? The answer is obviously what? None of them, because it's all uniform. Well, that's how the crystalline heaven is. You can see through it. Uh, the nature of the universe starts here. That also means that consciousness starts here, perhaps finds its roots here. Consciousness, uh, Dante would call the rational intellect following Aristotle and Aquinas and Averroes, um, which is, uh, to Dante, the immortal part of a human, or that part of human, a human, that is shared by all humans in an immortal sort of ripening and dying and ripening sort of way, a Dionysian or Easter Jesus sort of way, just to put that out there. So nature, which is space, and time finds its roots here. The beginning of all things in the universe. It's like physics starts here um, and comes from here. And in fact, when we get to the Empyrean, we'll actually be beyond physics and time. So everything that we see, no matter how far away from it, at it we are, we can see clearly. It's sort of like thought. When I was making this study guide for 32, I made some references back to Inferno. They were immediately, they immediately popped into my head, even though they came from so long ago. It made me think, what is it that can, what is it that can tra uh, transport itself through time and space immediately? Obviously, your what? Memory. Your mind. Your mind. Yes, the thing that houses your memory. Your thought moves well, immediately, faster than anything that exists. It's incredible. And so, thought, nature, and time are born here. So it's going to be a bit of a cerebral. Sphere. I'm probably going to have to move faster. And so what I think is interesting about the idea of the consciousness or rational intellect being born here is that obviously that is that which understands the universe. And so it's almost as if the rational intellect or consciousness was born in order to understand itself. <laughs> which is why I think it's so funny and smart of Socrates and the Phaedrus to say, all these people talking about chimeras and sphinxes and how they can exist, but I don't even understand myself, so I should probably start with me. And it's like, yes, 
You are the most complex thing ever to have existed. Perhaps you should try to understand yourself. All right, very good. The nature of the universe, which is still at the center while all the rest moves around it, begins here, as it were, from its starting point, 27106 to 108. This is no location or no other location than the divine mind, 109 to 110. And all things are measured by it. I make a suggestion here. This is the prima mobile, something like interest or tension, something that moves rapidly like a golden snitch from Harry Potter, immediately from one thing to another. Perhaps, I don't know. We'll have to think about it. All things are measured by it as 10 by multiples of 5 and 2. I don't quite understand that at the moment. Perhaps you can help us. And the roots are here while foliage is in others. Again, notice those plants or garden metaphors. Foliage, leaves. Roots, things in the ground. And so the roots of all things are here. The causes of all things are here. So it's the most cerebral. It's the least physical. It's the hardest to connect with. It's the most abstract. This is like doing hard math. So if you're finding this difficult, it's supposed to be difficult. It is difficult. All right, good. But now it is manifest. It's as if the roots have been pulled out of the ground, or we've been given x-ray vision so that we can see into the ground. And uh, again, a comment is made on the fact that children are fed false stories, and they speak in kind, but here's the truth. It's, uh, that's again uh, a polemical statement against those people who are part of the church who tell stories about the causes of things but do not themselves know the causes of things and well if you're going to figure those out you have to be like Dante and you have to do it for whom do it for yourself that's right you can't rely on the words of others if you're going to figure out truth you need to rely on your own Beatrice your own mind right are these etern eternal truths swirling about in the immortal and infinite mind what would bring these into reality? I, I take the idea that angels are themselves true thoughts, circling around the divine mind. And it's as if they, like messengers, can visit whom? In their own intangible, immortal part. What kind of creature are we? Humans. Humans, right. It's like we're the only creatures that can be visited by angels. If angels mean immortal truths, because we're the only creatures that have what that can comprehend immortal truths. Minds, that's right, that's right. You know about things like pie, and not the kind you eat, the kind that's like 3.14 and then a bunch of other ends goes on to forever. You can understand that to some degree. Goats cannot understand that. They just go like this. Which seems like an okay existence until they get slaughtered. All right, so up is down and black is white. More comments on the problems with the world and how the justice of the world is inverted and how it is not in accordance with the prima mobile as it should be. None governs the world. Nobody is in charge. Somebody needs to be in charge. Ideally, the king of heaven should be in charge. Chaos reigns on earth. That means nothing happens in the way that it should. And people like Dante, who are just and good, will be exiled. And so things are out of whack with the first cause. And so no wonder the human family is lost. Without guide, or shared ideal, what is it that humans are supposed to work towards? Well, they don't. When they don't have a goal, when they don't have something to do, they have an idle hand. Does anybody know the expression in our language about idle hands? Idle hands are the devil's playthings. And so what the idea here is that when people don't have a collective vision towards which they work to improve the world, they just fall short. They jump into cupidity, that's lust. And they destroy and waste. Like Penelope's suitors, think about them. They gave themselves to pleasure and not to great deeds. 
And what was their uh, what was their great reward for this? Death, 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 death for all time. And I'm going to have to move fast. I'm sorry. We have a lot of slides to get through. So, but from these heights comes brilliance, and the ships and fleet will turn around. That's literally what the word conversion means. Verso means to turn, con means with, to turn around to, towards a truer course. So somebody's got to turn this world around. Who do you think Dante thinks that person is? Himself, because who needs to take responsibility for improving the world who's alive at this point? Us, yeah, whoever happens to be alive and has the benefit of the intelligence, because once you're dead, do you have the benefit of the intelligence? No. You don't even have a body. You can't do anything. And so, you know, you got to do stuff while you're alive. And true fruit, notice again, that's a metaphor of fruit slash garden, will come after the flower. Okay, and I mentioned that. Fruit metaphor, remember Garden of Eden. Remember the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember that fruit was eaten. Plants flower also, just to give you some ideas about how this metaphor works at their culmination. You don't produce the flowers at the beginning when you're first budding as a plant, nor when the stalk is growing, or the trunk, nor when even the branches are growing up. The flowers are the last things that come, the best, most beautiful parts of them. Well, the idea is that that's what these people in heaven are, that they are the best representatives of the human race. They are the flowers. They're not the weeds. They're not that which gets thrown out. They're that which gets picked, which means that they die, but, well, they die in glory, you might say. Um, they die as ripest, true knowledge or fruits. It's as if their lives become the fruits that other people after them eat in order to improve their own existences, which is cannibalistic, yes, but also uh, beautiful. So uh, you can say that you learned in class today about the beauty of intellectual cannibalism today. And your parents can look at you like you're weird because perhaps you are. And so, knowledge of causes. What, is, what does it mean to acquire knowledge of causes of things rather than the effects of things? Well, it means that you learn immaterial principles which underlie material happenings. Things which you can't see, which, makes, which make things you can see happen. One idea of that would be gravity. Do you see gravity? No, but you see the effects of gravity all the time. If I drop this, you see the effect of gravity. You saw a marker fall to the floor. Did you see the principle of gravity and the equations behind it? No, but you did see it at work. And so what we're trying to learn about here are the things that make all the things work. We're trying to learn about the puppe puppeteers rather than the strings and the puppets. Perhaps we are the puppets. In any case, got to keep moving. Canto 28. When she who raised my mind to paradise had revealed the truth, 28, 1 to 3, truth reflected is truth. As flame in a mirror reflects the true flame, and music fits to words. Parallel harmonies, wills like the conjoined, absolute and contingent wills. Something interesting here. We will not actually see the Empyrean as it is. We will see the Empyrean reflected off the prima mobile um, through a river of light. So we'll see a three-dimensional sort of holographic projection of the rose of uh, the so-called mind of God and um, both Jesus and um, the Virgin Mary are sometimes represented as roses, as culminations of being. Um, just like a rose is a culmination of the being of the plant or the rose bush that it is a part of. Hmm. Interesting. And so the idea is that if you see a reflection of that which is true, like a flame in the mirror, <coughs> that is the same as seeing the truth itself. 
which is interesting because if you think of the transmission of knowledge throughout all time, then the same truth that one person knew 3,000 years ago is just as true now as it was then, if it can be housed in your perspective, because obviously you both had what's. What is the only thing that houses knowledge in any creature? The mind. That's right. That's right. So even if you learn something from somebody else, it is new to you, but it is just as true for you as it is for someone else. In any case, this is very cerebral stuff. Let's get on. Let's get on. Okay. This is where we start to get into what is most important in the Prima Mobile. Dante observes the ordering of the spheres of heaven. And so we all know that nothing is as it seems. We learned that all the way back in the sphere of the moon when we, uh, we asked embarrassingly to Picard and Empress Constance, um, do you want more than what you have here? Don't you want to be in a higher heaven? And they said, well, actually, we're all in the same place. You just see this um, heaven from your human perspective. Well, now it's time to see things from a more divine perspective. Each of the spheres of heaven is ordered by how much truth it contains. It is brighter the closer it is to the divine. The closer it is to the divine, the more it reflects the truth of the divine. Therefore, it has more truth. Um, that makes the closest spheres of heaven the most full of truth and also the fastest, which means that the closest sphere of heaven to God and the fastest and the brightest would be which one? It's the one we're in now. The prima mobile. From that point, heaven and the whole of nature depend. Good, 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 good. And we'll talk about this because this is inverse from what we might think looking at the world because obviously the spheres that look um, from the perspective of Earth, the prima mobile looks like it is farthest away and therefore slowest from Earth, but it is the closest to God and fastest. And so there is an inversion between how we see things with our eyes, and how we can see things with our minds. Very interesting there. There's something very deep and profound there. In any case, Dante questions the movements of the heavens. On Earth, the furthest heavens, farthest, for uh, grammatical uh, scholars, uh, seem slowest from our perspective. But in heaven, so this is what I was just saying, one notices that the farther spheres from Earth are closer to their source of motion, that's God. The prima mobile and God are therefore faster, or rather the prima mobile is the fastest. This is because the truer or more accurate the aim, the better the shot, the quicker the shot. And therefore the closer to the truth the sphere is, the more truth is housed within it. The greater the truth of a thought, the more its power to motivate. And so that's interesting because there's like a trickle-down truthonomics going on here. Um, there's the utter ultimate truth of the divine, which is then reflected in the prima mobile, but there's a small degradation between each sphere of heaven. And then there's almost as much truth in the fixed stars. And then there's almost as much truth in the sphere of contemplation. And then there's almost as much truth in the sphere of the just rulers. It's as if you lose a... It's like when you keep copying an image over and over. What happens to that image? It starts to de degenerate and become more pixelated over time. Well, it's the same with truth here. And so by the time the truth gets down to earth and gets mixed with matter, what's it look like? Well, it's very difficult to see. It's no longer pure. It's obscured. It's, uh, I think obscured is the best word because there's a word for shadow in there. It's covered by shadow. You have to dig in order to see it. 
And so that's why it's hard to see truths in this world. Cool. Here's a beautiful image of the angelic orders. Okay, I just need to mention this very quickly to you. Each of the spheres of heaven, as you know from checking, I think it was pages 31 and 32 of your book, corresponds with an order of angels. And perhaps you don't know much about angels and haven't spent your free time reading about them, but you need to know a few different of the choirs. The highest choir are called the seraphim. The second highest choir are called the cherubim. The third highest choir are called the thrones. The seraphim correspond to the prima mobile, the cherubim to the fixed stars, and the thrones to Saturn. I'm not going to make you learn the other two choirs and the other six sorts of angels, and I'm not even going to make you read Dionysus, the Areopagite, who talks about the differing choirs of angels. But I will have you learn this, that what the seraphim indicate or embody is loving attention. They're charitable. They represent love. So the highest virtue that exists, even in heaven, is what? Love. And beneath that is another very powerful one, which is the cherubim, or which are the cherubim. Well, they have an outflowing of wisdom. So even below love is wisdom. Wisdom comes second to love, which is very, very interesting. The thrones indicate also a stream of wisdom. They're called glowing ones, or are the words which express the wisdom gleaned above by the cherubim. Notice that it is a trinity of how to acquire and transmit skill. It is because of your love that you share your wisdom through your words with somebody else. And so this is a trinity of transmission, of transmission, of transmission of the highest principles and most important truths between one person and another. Precisely what's happening right now, insofar as it is happening right now. And uh, he compliments, and you need to know this guy, Dionysus the Areopagite. The reason you need to know this guy is because he, like Jerome, had an idea about which angels exist in heaven and where they are. So you don't need to write this. I know it's way too much. But this is Dionysus's on the celestial hierarchy. Here he lists out the seraphim, those who kindle or make hot. That's related to love. The cherubim, abundance of knowledge or an outflowing of wisdom. And then the thrones are the glowing ones or streams of wisdom. Hmm, interesting. I would read this to you, but we just don't have time. In any case, if you want to read this later, you can ask me. I can send it to you, or, or you can come read it in tutorial. All right, Canto 29. Beatrice describes the creation of the world. We have two or three major concepts we still need to get to in the next ten minutes. Definition is brought into duality and unity. What does that mean? Well, uh, things that are real seem to have two components or can be split into two logically. Beings are made of form and matter. The reality or the world is made of heaven and earth. In fact, those are the first two gods of the Greeks, heaven and earth, Uranus and Gaia, and those are the first things to get split in the Hebrew religions too. The heaven is split from the earth. Hmm. Man and woman, of course, too, also split apart in order to come back together. And what is the thing that brings man and woman back together in holy matrimony, supposedly? Marriage. That's right. We're brought apart so that we can do what? So that we can choose to do what? Come back together. That's right. And we'll see this uh, when we get to the Empyrean as well, that uh, the idea behind Eve transgressing is that she'll be replaced by Mary, that somebody causes the problem and then somebody wants the problem. Fixes, chooses to fix the problem, and that's important. And then Adam causes the problem. Who do you think it is that's 
that chooses to fix the problems. Jesus, that's right. And so they're considered prefigurations. It's almost like it's a good thing that people cause problems because what's it give you the choice to do? Fix the problems. Right, right, right. Okay, so created for man, not for any good done to God. So the world was created for man, not because of God. Well, so then it was an act of charity or love in order to reflect himself or his perfections in a being inscribed in space and time. Form plus matter equals being. Notice that that's a three in one. That's a trinity itself. Form plus matter equals being. Even though those are three different concepts, they're all part of the same thing. Hmm, very interesting. And all are created at once, without distinction of which came first, which means that uh, the being existed before form and matter, but you can logically in your head split a being into form and matter. That's a point that Aristotle makes. He says that there are three souls to man, but it's not like they're in three different places, the vegetative soul, the uh, animal soul, and the rational soul. Those, uh, all those are together at once, but you can logically divide them with your mind, which is, you know, interesting. In any case, Beatrice continues to describe the creation of the world. Order and substance were also created at once. Remember Zeus is a principle of order in the universe. Remember his golden rope that he can tie uh, heaven to earth with. And remember that he hates Aries, or the principle of conflict or corruption within the world. Um, so, what is the highest point of the universe? Pure action, or pure act. What is the lowest point of the universe? This is again Aristotelian, pure potentiality. Well, act and potentiality do not exist apart from each other for Dante. They together were twisted together, sort of like the mutual spirals of DNA, um, the double helix, as we call it, never to be untwisted. And so there is no such thing as pure act except in the mind. There is no such thing as pure potentiality except in the mind. There are just beings made up of relative amounts of both of these concepts. And so a question that well might pop into your head is, according to Dante, did God come to be in the same moment that man did as mediated through the limiting or discerning function of consciousness? Is that the notion of the so-called Jesus God-man, that that which came into earth brought the idea of man and God with it at the same time? Very interesting question to ask if you're theologically inclined. As in, was consciousness both created and bound to matter in the same moment. Is there a such thing as a consciousness without a body? Is there a such thing as a thinking, living being uh, that is undefined uh, or unrestricted? Not so far as we've ever seen, but again, nothing is as it seems. And so, all who agree, apparently this guy named Saint Jerome, he agrees, the holy scriptures, they supposedly agree according to Dante, and you will see for yourself if you look carefully, says Dante. You can accept the word of Jerome, the scriptures, or you can just look for yourself, 29-42. Because reason can see this, for perfect motions do not last without perfect intelligence behind them and perfect wills motivating them. You just need to have that Jerome and holy scriptures fit, because we've got to keep moving. All right, here's another picture of all the angels of the Prima Mobile surrounding Dante. If you imagine this as all the eternal truths around him, you might imagine the joy he has. How many of you like to learn something new when it's interesting to you? Yeah, well imagine all the most interesting things you could ever imagine are all around you. How would you feel? 
You'd be like, what do I even want to learn first? I don't even know what to focus on. Well, that's the feeling you're supposed to have in the prima mobile. You're like, Mr. Schmidt, when you explain it, that's not how I feel. It's like, well, you know, we all are imperfect uh, vessels for the transmission of that which is perfect. So are the angels around Dante a symbol of the infinite being or meaning which one must inscribe upon the minds of others through the vehicle of true words? Maybe. Maybe. All right. These are, ooh, yeah, that's good. Okay, we have two more slides we need to get through in two minutes and we have to go fast. So here are the big time questions. How long after the creation did Lucifer and the so-called horde fall? Fewer than 20 seconds. It took 20 seconds or so for them to fall. Why did it happen? The accursed pride of Lucifer. Remember, Lucifer means the light bearer. He's often called the morning star too because the morning star shines brightest. This is a metaphor for human reason and its misuse. And its misuse. It is when your reason is used against a true aim that you can corrupt and divide people. And while grace is received in accordance with whether one's love is open to it, supposedly. And so, next question. Do the angels understand and remember and will? Well, since the angels never stop looking at God and the truth of God never changes, they don't need a memory. They don't need to remember anything. They're looking at eternal truths at all times. And do they need to will? Well, they will the same thing as God. Do they have their own intelligence? They think the same things as that which they see. It's almost like they're all uniform. It's almost as if, even though they are all distinct, supposedly, they're all also the what? The same, right? They aren't free in the same way that we are to make mistakes. They're free to never make mistakes. They are free of mistakes. Huh. Because their sight never leaves the divine, and the truth can be present in the mind at any present moment. But men, well, we, we lie in the world. We twist scripture. We're ignorant, too. We show off with philosophy to show off our peacock feathers. We use our minds to show off and to make, uh, uh, you know, to make a spectacle of ourselves rather than to learn the white life of truth. And so lambs, that would be like students, Go off fed on wind, empty promises like the bag of Iolus or the faith of Odysseus's men. All right, 106 to 117 and 29. So that lambs who don't know anything go back from their pasture, and I'm going to read all this, even though the bell is going to ring, back from their pasture fed with wind. And it is no excuse that they don't see any harm in it. Christ did not say to his companions, go and preach rubbish to the world, but gave them truths that they could build upon. And these sounded so loudly in their mouths that in their fight to start the fire of faith, they used the gospel, both shield and lance. Now they go out with idiotic jokes to preach. And if people roar with laughter, the hood inflates with pride, and all are satisfied. People jump at promises without proof, so they are starved for truth. All right, I'll have to conclude the canto next time during our final lecture.